Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy. For this special Women of the Fringe episode, I'm speaking with Paula David. Paula tried to please her mother by studying accounting, but performance and motherhood was in her blood. A singer, writer, and actor, amongst other things, Paula brings her solo show, Blood, Sweat, and Vaginas, about female sexuality, menopause, and self-discovery to the Edinburgh Fringe. It's about hearing all of the stories. It's about giving space to stories that have not been heard. And those stories, they have not been heard. They need to be told by the right people. They need to be told by the people that experience them with lived experience. Hi, Paula. How are you? Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to talk to you. I'm very excited to talk to you. Let's just jump right in because I know you told me that your first chapter was as backup singer and mum. So I'm sure you probably did something before that, but let's start with backup singer and mum. I didn't do very much before the singing because I thought that was all I could do. So singing was my, because singing kind of runs in the family, everybody sings. And uh, it was my party piece. Uncles and aunts came over. Oh, Paula will sing for you. And I was really happy to do it and very excited. So I think all of my life, from as, from as long as I can remember, I thought that's what I should be doing. When I turned 15, I wanted to join a band. And I joined my first band when I was 15. My mother said, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> you need a backup plan. I didn't leave school or anything. So I had, then I had to study something while singing. It's interesting to me at first when you were talking about it being your party piece and something you'd always done. I just assumed that there was a lot of support from your family. But obviously that wasn't necessarily their first choice for you. No, I think it's because because my mother has had sorry a very beautiful voice. And to her, that's not what you do outside of the home. And that would be something, that was my connection with her. We'd sing together. We didn't really have deep, meaningful conversations, but we did sing a lot. And I don't know, it was just a regular thing. We were always singing, but that wasn't, you didn't make a living from it. That wasn't something that, that you did to make money. That wasn't a career in her mind. For her, it was quite a ridiculous thing. So what do you mean? <laughs> so what would have been her career choice for you? I studied accountancy for a couple of years, which was really difficult because it was so boring. I literally could not stay awake in a lecture. I'm not even kidding. And my brain would go to sleep and I'd be like, oh shit, what are they saying? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> it's, really, it's so difficult because it's such a, it's a different part of the brain. And I feel I need to be passionate about something I'm doing. I need to love it. I need to be enjoying it and be excited or else it's just such a chore and I can't make myself, I've got to push myself into action and it's just hard work. Anyway, I did that because you got thought I'd just please my mum. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder though, because I tend to talk to people who have maybe been an accountant, for example, a very good example. A lot of people I've talked to were like, I was an accountant or something along those lines and move into performance. I'm curious. I'm just going to put this out to the universe. Someday somebody's got to come on the podcast who was a performer and was like, it was so boring. I just wanted to be an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know them. Will you just introduce me to them? (laughs) Do you think they exist? Because I'm very curious. I don't know. Maybe. Huge apologies to all the accountants listening, because I'm sure you have a fantastic life. I mean, we're just strokes for different folks, isn't it? I'm just not 
made for that, really. That's basically what it is. How did you quit the accountancy study and actually start singing? I finished, I just did two years. And then I was like, I've got something, mummy. Yeah, then I just studied it. I didn't really, I didn't really work at it. So I couldn't call myself an accountant. I don't have the experience. I just did the exams and, uh, and then just went on and started singing. And I I became a sort of a a session singer and uh, yeah, was enjoying myself immensely. How did that coincide with you being a mum as well? So what happened was I got pregnant on tour. (laughs) Ooh, that sounds like a story. (laughs) I think it's an age old story. It's an age old story, isn't it? I was seeing someone and we were both traveling separately and meeting up and it was all very exciting. And it was, I think when you're doing kind of long distance things and you don't see them for a while, it's almost as if you stay in the honeymoon stage for a lot longer. That makes sense. Because you don't, I don't, yeah, you don't get to know them as well as you would do if you were in the same city seeing each other regularly. I got pregnant and just thought, oh, maybe. Yeah. I got pregnant, got married, had a couple of kids and stopped singing completely. Stopped. Just became a mum for a couple of years and did try and do There were points where I was breastfeeding in, in a studio, <laughs> which was not great. There was a Funny story. I don't know what other people will think about this, but I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know. Um, so there I was. My older daughter was, she may have been about six months and I was singing and uh, she needed to be fed. And I was just like, she's, no, I have to go now and just finish this line. And then there was another singer. I don't know. I can't remember the details of which she was in another studio or something. And she asked me if I wanted her to feed my baby while I finished the song. And I was absolutely horrified. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just think, I look back and I think, I wonder if other women would have been okay with that. I don't know. I don't have kids, so I don't know how I would feel about that. To me, it seems like I'd be like, she can wait a couple minutes. It's fine. I'll be done. <laughs> but, I, but I don't know. Not everybody might feel like that. So I'm not sure. Uh, and it did make me think, oh, I need to get my priorities right. And I absolutely love being a mum. I love it. So it was a real, I was really quite torn. I didn't want to leave them and travel and be doing something else. I just, I just wanted to be with my babies. So that's what I did for a while. And a lot of people ask me, because I have a production company that is, the idea is that I do highlight stories of women 35 plus, And obviously that's the idea of the podcast as well. And a lot of people ask me about that age. And I think there's the whole thing about becoming invisible around 35, 40 in the film theater world. But there's also yeah. the thing about so many women, it seems like around that age, 35, 40 again, maybe you've had children and want to spend some time with them, but mm. there's that kind of, I'm coming back. And I think that there's still a real issue with, especially people that still have young kids coming back, especially in the yeah. performance industry. Did you find that to be, obviously you said you had to change your priorities. Yeah, I did. But I honestly believe that it's a very individual choice. I would advise any woman just to what is it you want to do? Because there's nothing wrong with a nanny. There's nothing wrong with your sister and your brother and your mom helping you. It takes a village to, to raise a child. And we should all take advantage of that. I think it's a very individual choice. And I would never force my choice or impose my choice on someone else. That's just how I felt at the time. Yeah. Well, I was quite young. So the sort of 
35 bit when you're talking that women feel like the children I felt like they were they're fine now <laughs> I felt oh my gosh I can uh, let me just go back out so that's basically what I did so we've missed a career when I decided to stay home with the girls I just happened to get divorced at that time and then I became a teacher I used to do workshops music workshops in school so I became a teacher from backing singer to singing to small children, doing singing assemblies, playing percussion in the classroom, which was a lot of fun. So I did that for a few years in between. And then, um, I, this sounds like a roundabout way, but I'm going to get there. That's so the whole point. I, <laughs> I know that <laughs> the whole point of all of this is that I do not think anyone I've talked to has ever had the, I woke up, I wanted to be this, I became this, and that's my life story. Otherwise, why would I talk to you? Never going to be that simple, is it? Yeah, so I did that for a while. And then I was, I just felt like the girls were, they didn't need me 24-7. I saw an ad for a poetry course at in a university. It was just one module. I hadn't said before that I've been writing poetry just forever. <laughs> it's probably, so you could have said that first. So when I was at school, I used to write poetry, but that was another thing that my mother said, you don't make it writing poetry young lady <laughs> you be an accountant <laughs> so um, I was just going oh I could do that so I did a module in poetry and really enjoyed it and then just basically slowly went through all the modules of this creative writing degree and came out the other end and thought oh, I'm going to be a writer I'm going to be a writer. <laughs> so I did, we're getting there. I did spoken word stroke singing for a while. So I wrote poetry and had like choruses in it because I always need to sing. And I did that for a while. And then I thought, oh, I just quite like the idea of short stories. So I wrote some, I did get some short stories published, but there was no performance in it. And you never get to, no one tells you whether they liked it. You don't get feedback. It was a bit weird. It was like writing it. And then it just, and then you throw it into the void and listening for something to come back and it doesn't <laughs> it's really it's quite an odd feeling if you're a performer and you're on stage and you sing something or you say something and people respond even if they don't say anything it's in their faces their body language but if you just write it down and then it's you don't even see them when they're reading it and what is that what is that that is true i haven't thought about that a lot because i do writing but the idea of yeah, sending something off into the universe, into the world, however you want to say it, and never knowing. Even if you get a good review or even if a friend reads it and they're like, never. oh, that's great. It's not the same as even if somebody's not saying something in an audience, you do feel a vibe. Like there is energy in the room that you just don't get. Yeah, there's a kind of communication that, that, that you have with your audience, even if they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think it's quite a special thing. And I really miss that so then I did so I get to play right bit and then I did I was part of an ensemble that was writing sketches poetry and songs and so I was writing sketches for the first time and then realized that you could write characters that had absolutely nothing to do with you and they could be five of them having a conversation I'd never written a poem like that normally my poems were all my heart hurts they all start off that way <laughs> angst is a good place to start a poem though it really is Pain, angst, sadness, heartache, poem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you can you branch out, but it is very personal. And I quite like the idea of delving into a character that was nothing like me, that just 
a man or a 12-year-old boy of a different ethnicity, a middle-aged man, white man, that was just nothing. I just loved the idea of just exploring and what made that particular person tick. So I found that really exciting. And so I did that for a while and thought, oh, how hard can it be to now write a play? (laughs) Just write a play, sure. As my general phrase, how hard can it be? I soon find out though, very quickly. So I think I wrote my first, maybe two or three years after that. It wasn't an instant thing. But first of all, I was writing for other people because I was just, and I still feel quite excited about the idea of writing other characters that are really just not just me. Even if if I'm inspired by something I've done my own life, then bringing in, looking, talking to other people and expanding on that rather than just my kind of view of the world. I like to see what other people's view of the world is and then write a character in that way. I feel like there's so much now about people writing what they know or actors playing. You can't play that role because you're not actually that, you know, whatever that casting is. And I feel very strongly about giving female playwrights the opportunity to write. However, I am curious because I do think as a writer, of course, you want to be creative and explore these people who are different than you. I think that's a little bit different to what you're doing. I have that question as well for your play that you're doing at the Fringe. But yeah, how do you feel about, I guess, that whole thing? I did. I feel like it's two different. It's two different things. I think there is a need for there to be diversity on stage. I think there's a need to hear from writers that are are diverse writers. We need those diverse stories because they're just not there. And I think for me, the idea that those same writers that are already able to walk through those doors, able to jump over those obstacles that someone like me might not be able to, the idea that they would then write my story and I'd still be over here. For For me, that's what it's about. It's not about trying to stop people from exploring the world that they have around them. It's about hearing all of the stories. It's about giving space to stories that have not been heard. And those stories, they have not been heard. They need to be told by the right people. They need to be told by the people that experience them with lived experience. So it's not it shouldn't be seen as an obstacle to some. I just feel like that's a bit of, that's a bit of fragility. That's a bit of, oh, well, if they get in, what would we do? Do you know what I mean? It's almost if you're focusing on the wrong thing, people. <laughs> what we're saying is we need diversity of writers and actors. If that was already there, this would not be a question. Absolutely. So the idea is you need to open those doors and let everybody in and we hear all of those diverse stories and we become a richer population from it. The idea is not that the people are already through those doors then can look over the fence and, okay, I'll write that story. This is what I think the issue is. I've said something similar with Slackline, my production company, because when I've asked for female playwrights, I've had men come to me and say, why I understand, I like to relate to women. Why can't I write for you? And I said, with all due respect, which is never a nice way to start a statement, but with all due respect, when we see 50% of playwrights in our national theaters and the big places 
when, it, when we don't have to say the word female playwright, when we don't have to say the yeah. word black playwright, when we don't have yeah. to say the word diversity because we it yeah. just exists, yeah. then I don't have to specify. I, I want to just see a play. I don't want it to have to be a female written play. But for now, if we want to see that play, there has, yeah, that's what we have to do. No, I completely think what you're saying makes sense. And I think as a writer, as a creative, of course you want to be able to explore different characters and everything like that. But I think you've said it exactly right. Let's open those doors so we really get that lived experience story and then ultimately it'll make the world a much richer place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's it's enriching for a writer to look beyond themselves. I think you need to look beyond yourself. And even though the play that I'm doing at the Fringe is coming from a personal place, I have spoken to a lot of women about sex because women like to talk so you started writing plays and I know just the first I found about the play that you are bringing to Edinburgh Fringe, Blood, Sweat and Vaginas, yeah. is 2018. Is that about when you started working on it? Yeah. So I did, as a performer, I was part of a cast that did the vagina monologues and I thought it was, it's a brilliant play. It's a beautiful play and it was wonderfully directed and beautifully performed, but I didn't see myself there. I didn't see a black woman, a black female sexuality in there. I didn't see menopause in there. I, these, I wasn't in, I wasn't there. Did you feel like you were a black woman reading a white woman's words? Did it feel like just not authentic or how do you mean? I did I just mean my specific story. Moving through the world as a black woman is very different from moving through the world as a white woman. The way black women are I think over-sexualized, they're not seen in the same way as a white woman. There's the strong black woman myth where we're seen as stronger and sturdier and almost more manly. And then the flip side is that is being seen as just a, this sexual object. So that wasn't in there. And yeah, I didn't feel like the whole kind of menopause thing was in there at all. I think we, we do have to be honest about how we are seen because of our ethnicity and how we are seen because of our sex, how we are seen because of our class, how we are seen because of our sexuality, how we are seen because of our maybe disabilities. All of those things, as you walk through the world, affects how you are seen, how you are treated. There are different identities that are imposed upon you and they define how easily you do certain things. And I think we just have to be, we have to be honest about that. And I think if you're a people, the idea of privilege, I'm getting off the point a little bit, but I'll come back in a minute. You can reel me in because that's your job. Yeah. <laughs> when I feel like you've said your piece, that's enough. Come no, not at all. <laughs> it's very much connected privilege and accepting that it exists. The two individuals, one of you starts quite far ahead and the other one will have some obstacles to go through to get to the point where you have even started and may not even reach there depending yeah. on where in the world you are what you look like what you sound like all sorts of things and I think when you've got somebody that's got that privilege complaining that things are changing and I wouldn't have been able to do that it sounds whiny to me I just have to be honest <laughs> stop whining 
Yeah. So I decided I wanted to write this play, but I obviously, I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to lots of women about their experiences. And actually it was really lovely for me on a personal level to, because my perimenopause had already started. It took me a while to realize that's what it was. And to even discover the word, if I'm honest, I'd never even heard of perimenopause. Yeah, when you're talking about 2018, I feel like that's not long ago at all. And yeah. yet it only seems like to me, at least recently, that I've started hearing actually the word menopause and perimenopause as yeah. a public point of discussion, if you will. Yeah, it's quite a kept secret. <laughs> and that women are keeping that secret because it's seen as quite shameful because you're you're coming to the end of your according to society anyway your useful life type thing you can no yeah. birth and it's a, it's a, you feel like you're losing something huge to be going through menopause or at least some women do so the play has taken quite a long time to get to this point because i did being the poet than i am started with poetry and song because that's always my starting point and i haven't written anything yet that doesn't have poetry and song in it somewhere. It started like that and I did it as a kind of spoken wordy type thing. And so when it was being first performed, it was quite a much shorter piece. And if I'm honest, I, you, I never know that my, the play's not finished, that there's more to come, that I haven't finished writing it. I can sit down and write something and at the end of the month, I think that's it. I'm there. This is brilliant. <laughs> and then as you go along, you realize, oh, that, oh there's a bit missing. And people give you lots of great feedback. If you go to, there's a lovely sort of spoken word circuit in London that you can go and just reveal your new babies to. Yeah, so that, that's where it started. And yeah. I know also you were developing it with Barnes Fringe. I was reading about that, that kind of you got to yeah, show it in one way and then workshop it. Yeah, so they give you a couple of days to go in and just, yeah, workshop it, have a look at it. So it really did change and shift a lot. <laughs> Even the emphasis where I was, where the emphasis was, because it's a combination of female sexuality and menopause. So I personally feel that your sexuality is quite central to you. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like it's static. I feel like there'll be people that disagree, but I feel like it moves and changes. Your desires change as you get older. Um, I think sex gets better as you get older for women maybe according to the women that I've spoken to we all believe <laughs> that as you get older and you know yourself more and you understand your own desires it's fluid it moves who you yes. want to be with how you want to be with them all these things can change so there was a period where I was looking at that and then a period where I was really just looking at the suffering of menopause and <laughs> trying all sorts of remedies. It really did just get quite overwhelming. The menopause on the play <laughs> at times. So yeah, so all of that journey, my journey with perimenopause and menopause is in there. And also the, the sexual journey of an older woman. Mine is in there and also having spoken to a lot of women. Yeah. Yeah, because I was wondering, because the main character is Carol Ann, how much of you is in her or how much of her is in you but she is a, kind of an amalgamation of people you've yeah. spoken to in your own life experience yeah she obviously started with me but i feel like it's very important to even if you're speaking to someone just to get their point of view of something that you're experiencing so you can see from outside of yourself to have more of an objective view 
I feel like if you're just writing it, for me, that's where when I wanted to write plays instead of poetry, that's it opens out for me. So I need to see, I need to see myself through other people's eyes as well as seeing through me mm-hmm. to get a full character. So even if I'm talking to lots of other women, it can be about me or it was about me some of the time, just listening and thinking, oh, okay, actually, when you say it like that, it makes sense. That is what that means. Oh, I feel a shift in me now. There's some truth that you've just given me. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost about also exploring yourself because we are, we can only see ourselves through reflection of other people, if we're trying to be a bit more objective. I don't know. If you, does that make sense to you? It does. Because I'm thinking you're writing from the inside out, but people are looking at a character from the outside in, I guess you would say. Like an audience member is seeing something. So you have to get a perspective that's a little bit broader than yourself sometimes to really yeah. write an authentic character. Yeah. And so really, and a, a lot of the process is about helps you to understand yourself. It's not therapy. But I realize how that might sound. But when you're writing things that are so close to you, it's about, for me, it can be about developing an understanding. I write things that people are never going to see just so as I can understand it and write it down, read it back and look at it and think, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, so it's a similar thing that I'm doing with things that I'm going to share with other people. So it's safe to say it's not therapy, but it's therapeutic. Okay, yeah. Well, let's go. Let's go with that. <laughs> I'm going to coin that one. one. Yeah. No, as part of your marketing for the show, you've been walking mm-hmm. around as your vagina. I'm doing air quotes because nobody can see me yeah. anywhere. But you have been walking around dressed as a giant vagina, basically. <laughs> I have. And I love her so much. She's just, the different responses have been very interesting. But I think initially I didn't know. So it's a bit like when you're writing something, you just don't know what it is until you finish writing it. And I feel like there's something about, it's a little bit like talking to other people to get a different perspective on yourself. She's got a name. She's called, it's called Violet. Oh. She's, Violet. She's very shiny and silky and yeah. <laughs> oh, Come on, they are beautiful. Um. Yeah, so having her kind of be separate from myself and being able to look at it, what I found was when I was talking to other women, I'm reluctant to say interviews because it wasn't really like that, but there's a lot of pain out there. A lot of women were talking about the pain of their sexual experiences and how that had shifted their view of their own body. So taking on almost embodying that pain and keeping it there. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of having the vagina separate to me so that I can look at it and see how actually beautiful it is and how I should be proud to own one. And my babies came through there. Oh, look at the little house they were in. <laughs> Taking up. Oh my God, I sound like a crazy woman. I'm not crazy. I was going to say, it's a little crazy, but it's also very cool because I feel like there's so much stigma around even saying the word vagina or vulva no. or it's come on. You can create, it creates life comes from there and it gives so much pleasure or it's possible to give so much pleasure. We should really dive in there and appreciate that one because why not it's a good thing it's (laughs) a very good thing (laughs) it's an amazing thing we all have this huge capacity for pleasure we should be exploring 
like crazy. We should. <laughs> it's a terrible waste. <laughs> so I feel like you know, the, the, um, that's what my violet, my vagina is saying when I walk around. Look at this beautiful thing. Look at how beautiful it is. Life comes out of it. It gives so much pleasure. There are 8,000 nerve endings in your vulva. That's just to give you pleasure. That's amazing. Yeah, somebody you know, came did, on the podcast and was quoting, I don't know, the nerve endings and the clitoris and how it is yeah, it's, it's, one of the only thing that exists organ-wise or what have you. I'm going to say this yeah. so terribly, but that doesn't have an actual purpose other than pleasure. That is glorious. <laughs> we are obligated to experience that pleasure. <laughs> it's an obligation. Let's all go out and do it. Yeah, so that whole process has been quite moving and quite changing fundamentally, I think. The whole kind of process of writing something. When you write something, you just prop it onto the page. Oh, now it's out there. But then when you're performing it, you have to put it on again, re-experience it, and it's much more intense when you've moved on to now performing it and seeing it as a performer and kind of wearing that whole thing. In your case, literally. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that people worry about a lot at Fringe is getting audiences in because there's so many shows. I think Violet being out in the world is probably going to help. But what are your other kind of fears or what are you nervous about? I think I'm nervous about stamina. I think so part of my personal perimenopause is fatigue, which is quite difficult to navigate. So I worry that I'm just going to be lying on the floor on the stage one day and people will come and they'll say, give me a moment, I'm back tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be doing the show here from the floor today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to speak it from here. You'll have to imagine everything else. Yeah, that's one of my worries because it's quite intense. I'm going to pump myself. We will do that. We'll get, we'll get through that. How many shows are you doing in total? I think 26 or 25, something like that. But I do think it's a wonderful opportunity to just explore the show from my point of view. And because every time you perform it, it moves and changes. I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to do that. And also the communication that we were talking about between a performer and, and audience. And that's just going to be wild, I hope. It's just going to be brilliant, isn't it? So I'm really excited to see how people respond, what they'll say. And they always laugh in different places. And yeah, I just <laughs> what is the most inappropriate place you can laugh in? <laughs> I'm just going to take notes on that because it's always very interesting. We're also going to have, we're doing a live Instagram for women to get together and talk about their menopause and their perimenopause on a weekly basis. So I'm looking forward to talking to women about their experience and kind of sharing, caring type of way. I think we'll also have a couple of medical practitioners to come in and maybe answer some questions because obviously I've only got my own personal experience and things I've heard and that's probably not a good idea <laughs> to be advising people in that way. So I'm looking forward to doing that and, uh, and just maybe a little kind of fringe community of menopausal women together sweating simultaneously. <laughs> that might be fun. Someone to sweat with. That's what I'd love. <laughs> that should be the next, the name of your next show. Someone to sweat with. Yeah. If you can sweat with someone, that's a relationship for life. That isn't that really. I met my boyfriend from our running club. So I figure that's not a bad thing. Oh, well, there you go. 
He has See? seen me at my sweatiest. Right. <laughs> and loves you. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky him. Woo. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm Speaking of all the audiences and everything and the experience that you're sharing with them, because the show, it talks mm-hmm. about menopause. And one of the things you talk about in the description is bursting this bubble of the strong black woman myth. What is something yeah. that you hope people walk out with? I think from a strong black woman's myth point of view, I think being given permission to be vulnerable is, I think, is really important. The kind of, you know, I can do it by myself and I'm strong enough. Underneath all of that, there's a woman that needs support. There's a woman that needs to feel cared for. There's a woman that just needs someone. We all need someone. No Mm -hmm. one can really. We're not islands. We can't do it by ourselves. We need to. It needs to be a world where everybody is seen in that way, that we all need support. We all need to be cared for. And there is no one ethnic group, no one sex that is, or gender, I should say. There's no one gender that deserves it more than the other. There's no one ethnicity that deserves it more than the other. And those who who have it less really suffer. There's a mental health side to feeling like you need to be strong all of the time and having the world expect that from you. So I think that's really important for me is to people to take away maybe the idea. Maybe it's a big ask for a play. I don't But just to take away the idea that it's absolutely okay to be vulnerable. It's human. It's just human. I think that's what plays are for. Even if it's laughing at all the inappropriate times and wearing a vagina and everything else, a giant vagina. At the end of the day, the reason we're telling a story is... Because you want somebody to walk away with something. So I think yeah. I think that's a really beautiful thing for somebody to be able to walk away with. Thanks for that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Looking forward to having you there. One other question for you. Did you bring a quote for me today? Oh, I wrecked my brains. I don't know if it's going to be a great quote, but I don't remember who said it to me, but it's been something that, that I've kept hold of and even say it to my girls now, is that basically... It's not that you can't do it, it's that you don't know how to do it yet. It's not that it's a no, it's not. It's that you just don't have the answers yet. So when I'm saying that I'm going to try this, and I have no idea, which is the story of my life. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea how it, it's going to happen or how to do it, but I have no idea yet and I will work it out. And I think that's true of most things. Even when you work it out, you realize, because as we were talking earlier, I did say to you that if I had known how difficult it was to bring a show to Edinburgh, the stress and weight of it all, I may not have begun this journey. And I didn't know how to do it. You know, this is all new to me, but I certainly have found out how it works. (laughs) Yes, and you will continue to find out day after day. Oh, it wants to learn. Oh my goodness! But yeah, so it's all about just working out how to do it. That's my. It's not a proper quote, is it? You know what? Sometimes I feel like I I never realized until I started asking this question how demanding this question is. Because I just, um, personally, I just I've had some quotes inspire me in my life. There's a whole story behind it. I won't even go into it, but. People have come on and just been like, 
oh my God, I really don't have anything. To me, it's just, what's your motto for life? So whether Einstein said it, or whether you woke up this morning and thought, how hard can it be? Which is another quote of yours, I can say. You've said a couple of times. I think something that inspires you or that you live by, or something like what you just said, having that, I can always find out. My dad used to always say, look in the encyclopedia, which of course nobody even now has an encyclopedia or looks in encyclopedia. We Google it. But we've got Google. Exactly. There's always a way to learn. And I think if there's one thing I want to accomplish with this podcast, it's really letting people know that you always can continue to learn and continue to grow. So I think that's an amazing quote. I don't care who said it. You said it. Now you said it. It's yours. (laughs) Paula David. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to own it. Well done. Thank you very much. As you should. Remind everyone, Blood, Sweat and Vaginas is at? It's at the Pleasants, the cellar. So it's the Pleasants Courtyard. And it's on every day at 12.55. And I shall be there full of energy. I will have taken all of my supplements. (laughs) And I'm really looking forward to meeting lots of new people, just having their responses and communicating on stage. That bit I'm really looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to seeing the show. I will make sure that your details are in our show notes so that people can also find the Instagram live that you're speaking about because it sounds amazing. They will find out Paula David 48. And if you are on Twitter and vaginas, just look for that at and vaginas. Yes. Every and time I've been going to recommend shows, it's I recommend this one and vaginas. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's perfect. I highly recommend vaginas all the way. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks again, Paula. And I will see you in Edinburgh. Okay. Lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.